Um, one of the things that I do now in relationships is seek out people that are authentic and real. Um, people that I can tell are are willing to lift the veil, so to speak, and um, and speak from their heart. Uh, I find it really challenging to be around anyone, but women especially, who um, who aren't willing or pretend that everything's fine. I think all of us have a story, and all of us have something to share, and it may not be as, you know, there's no competition in right. how, how dramatic your story is. Yes. Um, so whatever your story is, if you're willing to share it and be that authentic voice and um, to open your heart, those are, those are women that I love to be around. You're one of those people. I was going to say, but, I couldn't yeah. agree more. <laughs> yeah. The people in my life are so real, and I know yeah. they're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, but yeah. I love them the more for it. Yes. I'm like, oh my goodness, you went through this thing, and yeah. look at you. You're amazing and kind, and like, it made you a stronger, kinder person. Yes. You know? I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Absolutely. When the bomb goes off, what pieces do you pick up first? That's the question that Jessica asks herself in this interview. Her marriage fell apart, but not for the reasons that she thought or that you might expect. She talks about how she wishes that someone had told her to take care of herself. She explains the lessons she learned about how strong she was. She talks about true love, how sometimes you're the one that has to be carried, and how we all have a story. But listen to hers. It's something she never saw coming, but she handled with such grace and compassion I was thoroughly impressed with her capacity for gentleness and understanding in the face of losing the life that she had built and wanted. She now has a beautiful, peaceful life full of love that I don't doubt came from a lot of hard work and her ability to follow her kind heart. I am sitting here with Jessica and Jessica's going to tell us her story. Yep. Thank you for having me do this with you today. Um, I married my college sweetheart. Um, we had dated for four years. Um, or we started dating when I was almost 21. We dated for four years. We um, got engaged. Uh, I was a nanny in Paris. I know that sounds very luxurious, um, but I had worked. <laughs> I had worked for a family in graduate school um, who were French historians, and so they invited me um, to come continue to watch their son when when they moved there after I finished graduate school so I had the the romantic proposal in front of the Eiffel Tower and um, down on one knee and the lights going off and all of that oh kind of God. stuff so yeah so I was um, very happy we had a wonderful early years of our marriage and um, had two little kids and he had been in graduate school a little bit into um, my daughter's young years and we had a busy life we were both working he was in grad school and where were you living we were living in Atlanta um, area in the south side of Atlanta so we both were from Georgia and grew up there and had family around so we were just a busy young working couple and his evenings, uh, things started to shift a little bit in our marriage um, after we had our son, and he uh, 
would go to class at night and then come home and then do projects and I was working and I would come home and take care of the kids and um, we got into that pattern that I I assume a lot of young couples do is that you're you're busy taking care of um, family and you're not taking date nights and you're not um, having time set aside for each other and you know usually not even for yourself so totally yeah so we got into a pattern of that but then it became into just like a longer um, term situation and I started to wonder you know if if he was upset with me or if if that we were going to come out of this you know like if one day when the kids were older if things were going to be a little bit different where we were more intimate with each other and um, talking to each other more etc so um, towards the end of his time in grad school it just became more and more apparent that we had grown apart and or we were growing apart and I was beginning to blame myself I would go on walks and and really think about what I could do to be a better wife or um, how we could come closer together and all of those kinds of things where you're you're wondering what's happening and we started to fight more frequently or argue more not fight but we would argue more frequently um, we never really did argue or anything before but um, so it was it was different dynamic that was starting to happen in our marriage so we went from you know being busy working parents to now we're you know arguing about things and avoiding each other so that that was a tough a tough a tough thing to accept that this is where our marriage was headed and there were honestly there were days where I thought I don't know you know if this is going to last because um, I this isn't what I envisioned but you know I'm committed to the marriage and maybe we need counseling maybe we need to figure out a way um, to have more time together all of those kind of things where you're you're thinking you know I'm I can fix this I can make this work so he finished graduate school in December and we had a big party um, at his parents house and I was thinking okay like now we we're going to be able to focus on each other focus on our family and things are going to get better Um, and they actually didn't get better they got much worse and um, so from the period of January through April or May of that year he became even more distant so he was sleeping on the couch I was sleeping you know in the bed um, or maybe the kids were sleeping in my bed so um, it just it was apparent that whatever was going on before we hadn't been able to kind of overcome any kind of hurdle there was no effort on his part in my eyes to try to fix whatever was wrong so then I started becoming angry and I would, you know, ask him, I was begging him, like, please just tell me what's going on, what can I do? And he didn't talk about it. He didn't want to tell me what was wrong. It was around June of that year that I kind of threw my hands up figuratively and emotionally and spiritually and said, I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to fix this, and I'm not happy, and you're not happy, and and I don't want to live like this. This doesn't feel right to me. And again, there was no, there was nothing that I could like put my finger on it. It was just this feeling of heaviness. Like I remember going on a walk one day and feeling like an elephant was sitting on me. Like it was this very much heavy heaviness in my body and in my heart. And 
anyway, so I, we got through June. We had, you know, those kind of blow up moments of like, what is wrong? Why don't you tell me? And I could tell that he was somewhat depressed, but anyway, he just, he's not a talker. And so he didn't tell me what was happening. So there was a week at the end of June. I remember staying up really late and he'd fallen asleep on the couch. I was watching something on TV. I used to watch um, Oprah's network a lot. And there was a show on, um, I don't remember the name of it, but there was this woman whose uh, husband had told her that he was gay. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh my goodness, like that is that would be tough like how would you get through that what would you do and you know just that it was a it was a sad situation those poor people and I think some of the I think maybe the show was about divorce and people that had gone through things but that was just one of the stories it never crossed my mind that that could possibly be the situation that I was in at all so July 3rd I or I think it was well, I'm sorry July 2nd we got into a huge argument and me crying and begging him to please talk to me. And um, I fell asleep in my kid's room just bawling on the floor. They were probably at grandparents' house or something like that. And so I remember laying in my son's room crying. And I, I cried myself to sleep, you know, in his floor. Um, and then July 3rd came around and he had written me a note. Um, he had left for work early and wrote me a note and said, I'll talk to you when I get home tonight. And so I got the kids back. We spent the day together. He came home from work. And I was anticipating that you know, immediately when he walked in the door, we're going to now, finally, we're going to get to sit down and talk. And that didn't happen. So we got through dinner. We got through getting the kids to bed. Um, I thought, okay, now, like, now we're going to sit down and talk. And that didn't happen. So... He, you know, again, watched, was watching TV or something, fell asleep on the couch, and so I went into the bedroom and, and again, had that moment of just throw your hands up, say, I guess this is it. Like, I guess we're not, I'm never going to know. He ended up waking up, you know, sometime after midnight and came and got me and said, do you, do you want to talk now? July 4th is my birthday, so um, I was like, okay, oh my gosh, we're going to find out all of this on my birthday. So we sit we sit in the living room and well I'm sitting in the living room. I'm sitting on the couch and he is standing in front of me um, and he pulls out a letter and which I thought was very curious. So he's standing in front of me and he starts to read from this letter. And in the letter it was um, it was very genuine and he's you know shaking nervous and he's um, telling me how much he cares about me and loves me and loves the kids and how he never wanted to hurt me or the kids and that he's just so sorry and he gets through the letter and and you know again just says I'm so sorry and there was nothing and so I was very confused and I said well I don't I don't understand like I understand that you're sorry but you're sorry for what and he just was looking at me and he was looking around the living room but he never said what and so I started guessing and I said are have you cheated on me and he said no are you using drugs are you drinking alcohol too much did you do you have a gambling problem I mean all of these things that I I knew because I lived with him weren't necessarily true but he was saying no to all of them and and I don't know why but that story of the woman that I'd seen on Oprah popped into my head and I actually laughed out loud and I said well I know you're gonna think I'm crazy but are you gay and he didn't say a word and um, he didn't shake his head no <laughs> and he didn't say yes he just didn't say anything and I looked at him 
and it was this sense of panic that was on his face and then I said are are you gay and he said yes and I said immediately no you're not you're right. married right. right you're okay that can't happen yeah I was kidding like you, you know that's not I, I was just kidding about that and then it started to hit me like this is this is happening to me like this is this is real and I couldn't I couldn't really think straight at the time. I remember having this feeling of like an out-of-body experience. Like I was watching myself sit on the couch, listening to my husband tell me that he was gay, which is really strange if you've ever had any of those moments where you're like, this is not, I'm not really here. So I remember getting up from the couch and we had a living room kitchen where you could just kind of walk through both. And I started doing laps like through my kitchen and living room just walking and you know breathing and you know saying like this isn't really true this isn't happening and I had listened to Marianne Williamson as a author that I read and had listened to a lot of her radio shows and again this was the week before all of this happened she had done a show where she said that oftentimes when we pray we think that God is going to fix the problem that he's that everything's going to be fine if we just pray hard enough that it's going to be fine and she said that that's actually not what prayer is about prayer is about asking God to raise us above the battle so that we can see what God wants us to see so that was a very powerful moment when I listened to it on the radio and I remember praying that like okay maybe I need to figure out what I need to see so I'm doing laps through my kitchen in my living room, and I stop at the pictures of our of our family and us, our wedding, that are on the wall, and stare at them. I still hadn't looked at him, and I'm looking at the pictures, and that is what popped into my head was Marianne Williamson's voice saying, "God, please let me see." So I actually started saying it out loud, and I was saying, "God, please let me see. Please let me see," um, knowing that this wasn't something that I was going to be able to fix. So I turned around to him, and he had moved from the couch to in front of the fireplace, and he was on the floor, and what I saw was a man that had never been who he was created to be, and he was just a puddle, you know, of a person, and I went to him and hugged him, and we cried, and told him that you know, I loved him and I cared about him and that he was always going to be, you know, our kid's dad and that, you know, none of that was ever going to change. And I feel that what God wanted me to see in that moment was a person that needed love and that needed someone to accept them. I was the first person that he came out to and I'm grateful, you know, that I had the opportunity to to be that person for him. Um, it was hor- you know, it was hard and it was horrible and it was tragic. But I think that it, that it was it was in- intended, you know, the universe intended um, for us to have these kids and to be together and to care for each other. So so we spent um, some hours talking and he really thought that I was going to kick him out of the house that night (laughs) so he thought that he was never going to get to see his kids again and I think that's one of the reasons why he held the secret for so long was because he dearly 
you know, loves our kids. So that didn't happen. You know, I said, no, you know, you're, you're their dad. You're always going to be their dad. So after a couple of hours of just kind of absorbing this is, this is what it is, I told him that I needed to step out, and it was probably like 3 o'clock in the morning at that point, and he was going to be there with the kids, and <clears throat> that I would be back, but I just needed to get out of the house. And so my parents lived about an hour away, and so I got in the car and I drove to their house. I called my mom as, you know, right close to when I got there and told her I needed her to be awake. <laughs> you know, don't be scared when I show up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So she was making a pot of coffee. I told her what had just happened, and, you know, I ended up staying there. They were, you know, shocked and surprised, too, but supportive of all of us, of our family. And I fell asleep on the couch um, for a couple of hours, and, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock, woke up and, and said to myself, well, you need to get back to your kids. And um, on my way home, I... This is just part of my personality. I think there's, you know, there's a book or there's something that's going to teach me or tell me, like, how I'm supposed to deal with this. Like, there's something out there that's a resource. I'm just going to get that book, and we're going to read it, and, like, we're going to be fine. You know, my heart is broken, but I just, I thought there was something that would tell me how to fix that. And I stopped at um, Borders Bookstore on the way home when they opened, and went to the guy and I said, can you tell me where your, you know, section on LGBT might be? And he looked, I'll just never forget his face. He looked at me like the, the shocks. Remember, I'm in the Bible belt. And I was going to say, you're in Alabama. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Did Georgia. he look up and go, do you remember you're in Alabama? Right. No, I was in Georgia. Yeah. Or Georgia. Yeah. 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 And he looked at me and I was, and then I felt this need to like, um, defend myself and I said no no it's not for me it's for somebody right. else so he took me over to this you know very teeny tiny section of maybe like five books and so one of them was a, uh, I think maybe it was the New Jersey governor's wife who wrote a book about her story of her husband and he had cheated on her multiple times etc so I bought that book and ended up reading it um, over the next couple of weeks but it wasn't my story her story was not my story I get, I get home um, he took our son to his parents' house for a July 4th thing. I took our daughter to a party that we had already planned on going to. So we weren't together that day, but we, you know, came back to the house that evening, um, celebrated my birthday together as a family, and then the next morning we left to go on vacation with two other families. And we um, pretended, you know, for a week that we were okay, and, or that our family was had not just you know, been torn, you know, blown apart in a way. And I called my best friend. At some point during that week, we, I had a work thing that I was taking the kids to anyway, and he came back home. So we were apart for a couple of days that week. And so when I, I called my best friend, I told her what was going on. She was amazing, as she always is. And um, when I got back to the house, it was like driving up to a place you know, if, if you've ever had anyone pass away and you drive up to their house for the first time after they're gone or, you know, just this, this you know, I hate to say it this way, but like the scene of the crime, that kind of thing, that feeling where your heart sinks and you're, you're not sure if you can go in um, to this place. And so I remember driving up the driveway with the kids in the back seat and thinking, like, I don't know if I can go in. Um, but I did. And we... 
got through the next couple of months, you know, just talking. I mean, clearly things were different, but we talked more. And, you know, of course, I had tons of questions. And, you know, he still slept on the couch. But, you know, we were still, it was my, my one goal in life at that point was to protect my kids. They were little. They were not even two and five at the time. I just, you know, I kept thinking I need to protect them. Like I need to make sure that they don't feel this. What I'm, what I'm feeling, I don't want them to feel this. And I went into that kind of protective survival mode for years. I don't, I think it's only been recently where I've been able to release that. Like I don't have to protect them anymore. It's been eight years and um, they're going to be okay. And I'm okay, and they're okay, and they need their mom. But I don't have to. I don't have. I don't have to be in that kind of mode anymore. So, we told his parents together. His mom was just super glad that he didn't have a fatal illness. I think she knew something was happening, but she didn't know what it was either. So, so she was, you know, relieved and sad at the same time. Amazing, as she always is, and. And his parents really, and my parents too, you know, supported us through those those couple of months. We didn't have, we didn't tell friends. It wasn't anything like that. So it really was just uh, people that were the closest to us. And um, I'm not even sure that his siblings knew for a while. Um, so, so I kept his secret, which was, I'm not saying it was hard, but it was, I didn't know who to talk, I didn't really have anyone to talk to, but I had to keep that a secret. I had to keep his secret. And I could tell people that we were going to be getting divorced, but I couldn't tell them why. And so that was, I think that that was a little bit tough um, during that time. So he ended up moving out in December of that year. One of the things that happened during that time period, one of the families that we'd been um, on vacation with, the wife came in. uh, I was a teacher at the time, and she came into my classroom when she found out that we were separating. And she had actually found out why. And she said, I don't know how you can still let him live in your house and I found myself just furious with her like how dare you question how I am choosing to handle this trauma and you're supposed to be helping me not judging me and I think that 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 was a that was a moment where I realized even how much more protective I needed to be for my children's sake because we just did not live in a place that was going to be wide open and supportive and caring and and wrap their arms around us. So we we did you know end up divorced. He has an amazing partner who we all love that my kids love, and I have an amazing husband who we all love. And you know we've been on vacations together. We have holidays together. He still lives in Atlanta. We live um, here in Maine. But the kids still, you know, even with that 1,200-mile difference, you know, they still have a very close, um, strong relationship with their dad, which is what I wanted for them. And, um, you know, we're happy. And I feel I feel very much like if, if I had not looked at him that night at the fireplace as anything else, anything other than someone that I promised to love and cherish forever, no matter what, I don't know that our relationship would be what it is today. So I've, you know, obviously forgiven him and he's a great dad. He's a good person. My kids are really lucky to have so many dads. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> was one of the things yeah. that you said to me. Well, first of all, I am so, so grateful that I ended up interviewing you about this story because when you told it to me the first time, I was blown away by the fact that you handled it the way that you did, especially being from the South and being mm -hmm. surrounded by um, a lot of people who have a very different feeling, yeah. right? Yes. And so even in the church, you know, that can be really, really hard and you can be judged. Very much, yeah. And you were. Yeah. But that you were able to open your heart and, and say, no, like I love this man and mm -hmm. I'm going to support him. And we're sympathetic to what he was going through. Right. Like that's huge. And you're saying now that you know because you made that choice, it played out the way that it did. And it right. could have played out totally differently. And now one of the things, where is it that you had said um, something about having more love, like more people yeah. to love <laughs> yes. and they're like more parents to love them yeah. and for them to love. Yeah, I think that, you know, anyone who has this idea of their nuclear family, that, you know, mom, dad, and, you know, two or three kids or, or more, and that's what, you know, all of us are hoping for is to have, you know, the love of your life and to stay with them forever and that, you know, we're going to grow old together and all of that kind of stuff. And so when that doesn't work out, you know, for whatever reason, you know, just making sure that the the acceptance and the this idea that it's somebody's fault that it didn't work out is something that you have you have to let go of. It's It's not his fault that this happened. It's not my fault for... Um, for not seeing it or knowing it, if if you can move past those those stages of grief or go through those stages of grief um, and come to the point where you're accepting and saying, this happened, and here's how we're going to make the best of it. And for me, it it was you know either it was my mom or his mom saying like we we're just gonna have more people to to love you and to love the kids and that's absolutely the truth they have they have more dads than a lot of people <laughs> so, like, they only have one mom but you know they do they they're really fortunate um to have so many men in their life yeah. who are are good stand-up guys who care about them yeah so. and that's the bottom line yeah right? totally full of love yeah like, full of love like that's what matters yeah absolutely one of the things that we talked about that I liked that you had you had said I asked you you know when you look back was there a moment where you realized that this changed you at your core and you referenced that story of the woman who came into your classroom I think but you were talking about how it made you realize that you have a choice when you go through something traumatic yeah and I loved what you said about um, when bad things happen you get to choose how oh respond. right yes yes so um, so that's something that, you know, I, this, that idea is not something of my own, but it's something I've learned through the spiritual teachers that I've followed and listened to. But we always have a choice. In any situation, especially the ones that are challenging us the most, you know, spirit, spiritually, um, how are we going to respond to this? And are we going to respond with love um, and kindness? Or are we going to respond with anger and resentment and, and holding on to all of the negativity and the fears and and all of that kind of stuff and and that the fact that I was able to respond um, and chose to respond with love and kindness helps me to notice when other people are doing the same 
there's we all come in contact with people who just seem to be holding holding that um, negativity in their body um, their energy is is that it's um there's something that happened to them you know somewhere along the way in their childhood or in their adulthood that they haven't released and so I I'm more aware when I'm around people like that and you know try to treat them with gentle kindness as best I can sometimes it's harder than others Um, but but I think it is a choice how you respond one of my dear friends that I taught with her her son passed away unexpectedly at the age of 21 and and she was this was a few months before um my situation or a year before my situation and I watched her go through the same like how are you going to respond to this trauma in your life and she responded with you know obvious devastation and sadness but also with grace and love and kindness and and compassion and I think that that's that's what God asks us to do it's not that you know we don't have more than we can handle all of those kind of not silly phrases, but those phrases that people right. say, like you never get too much more than you can handle. You, you're always going to get more than you feel like you can handle. Oh, right. <laughs> like, okay. like that's just kind of life. Agreed. Like you get overwhelmed, <laughs> and that's why people have you know anxiety because you feel like you're not going to be able to handle it. Yeah. So the big like soul lesson for me is that, you know, you're going to go through stuff. I'm going to go through stuff, and how I handle it is going to determine my well-being moving forward am I going to be able to be a good mom and am I going to be open to meeting you know a a man who adores me and um, all of the next steps is is what the soul changing thing was for me and I think too what I love about that is what we're doing is we're teaching by modeling that for our children Mm -hmm. but yeah really, really hard things come up, things you don't expect, things you don't like, things that make you super sad, um, but you can get through them Yes. if yeah. you, you know, apply kindness and understanding and compassion and love and mm-hmm. all these pieces, and, you know, oftentimes we weren't necessarily modeled that, we weren't taught that, but if we can right. keep doing it, then we are modeling it for the next generation. Yeah, and I think we need to be really... Um really clear and precise about that with our kids and um, that's one thing that you know as my kids have you know one of the things that we real that I realized early on is that this situation is something that I'm dealing with obviously but it's something that my kids will deal with too forever you know they are they're going to have to say my dad's gay at some point and they have I remember watching an episode of Modern Family and when my son figured it out and he looked at me and he said wait is that is that daddy and you know his partner's name and I said yes it is and my daughter had already figured it out and he just looked at me and with this confused look like but I thought they were just friends I'm like nope they're not (laughs) like they're partners and they love each other and care for each other so you know he hasn't gotten to the place yet where he's you know he's about to be a teenager but where his friends are using you know the word gay as a negative thing or if he has he hasn't shared that with me, but my daughter did, and she actually, you know, had to stand up and say, you know what, my dad's gay, and I don't, I don't like that. Could you not say that around me? So this is this situation of of what's going on in their life, and for other children who are the children of gay parents, they they need to hear from from the rest of us 
um, whether it's their straight mother or a straight father or or whoever, that it's okay to be really clear with people what's kind and what's um, unkind and what you tolerate and what you're not gonna accept in your life and or in your in your space. Yeah. And I feel like I was able to model that for them to say this is acceptable, um, this is okay in our family, obviously, and and our job is to love everyone. Period. That's so, what we're supposed to be doing. So. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I want to go back and ask you, when you look back, um, because I think this is really important for anybody going through something like this, and really anybody who's going through something traumatic yeah. <laughs> yeah. in general, what, what do you feel like you needed that you didn't have? Well, I, I remember feeling um, very much like like a bomb had gone off, but you know, inside me, and I just didn't know which piece I was supposed to pick up first, like that feeling of being lost and not really sure how to put things back together, like looking around and saying, like, there is an explosion, and I don't know if I'm supposed to clean up the glass first or the wood first or be careful of the nails, like that. I, I really felt, felt that um, for a while, and I really wish that someone had taught me or told me at the time to take care of myself first. Um, I was trying to put it all back together in some way that looked familiar. Um, I didn't have anyone, and I think the people around me were doing the best they could to to also make it look like, you know, the windows cracked, but we can still see through it, you know, like like that. And I'm like, but wait a second, like the person on the inside of the window is a hot mess, you know, like she needs she needs some care. She needs to know what it, how to take care of herself. She needs some time. If someone had maybe pushed me a little bit to take more time for myself because I went into such protective mode and let's just figure this out and put it all back together, I think that at this age of, you know, 40, I probably would be better. I'm not saying that that would have happened, but I'm thinking that maybe I'd be a stronger advocate for myself of being able to take the time that I need for me. That's something that I am learning. Um, and it's been recently, just in the last year to year and a half, that I recognized and realized that it had been a long time since I had taken care of myself. So yeah, if someone in that time period had said, actually, Jessica, the first thing you need to do is to take care of yourself. And that you don't need to have guilt about that, I think that would have been really helpful. Yeah. I think that that's also something that I hear repeatedly, mm-hmm. whether it's on the podcast or mm-hmm. in conversation. And I, I've learned the same lesson in the last few years as well, where I was like, oh, yeah, I always felt like my job was to do my best at whatever job I was right. in and be this amazing mom. Yep. Um, but I didn't realize what that meant is to take care of myself so I could be a good mom mm-hmm. and be good at my job. And I think that that often is the case even before there's trauma, but then you go through this big thing and then you go into like, like you said, like you go into the survival mode and you're trying to put everything back together. And I often hear that the first thing that goes is self-care. Yeah. Like we just, totally. weren't, and we weren't taught that. And no. generationally, it makes sense. Our parents and grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. what they had to go through and the way that they worked and all these things, very often that was also the case. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't modeled for us, but man, I feel the same way where I was like, when I finally in the last few years have been like, Oh, I can take time for yeah. myself. Like, yeah. and I'm a really nice person after that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, amazing. or just cry. I mean, that's yeah. that's one thing that I didn't realize until I went into um, 
see a counselor just a couple of years ago, I, you know, had this built up, these built up tears that are, you know, toxic. And, and, you know, for the first few times I saw her, I just cried. And, and I wasn't necessarily crying about this thing that happened eight years ago. I'm crying about like everything else in the, you know, in life. And I'm apologizing to her for crying. And she's saying, no, goodness, no, don't cry. Just, you have to release this. You will never heal until you release it. I would cry, you know, in the car or I would, you know, cry when I went to sleep at night. And so, but it was always a like, get this out really quickly so that you can move on kind of cry. Not like, let you yourself <laughs> yeah, cry. let yourself cry. And I think that's one of the things that I'm trying so hard to teach my son and my daughter is that when you have feelings, um, you go through those feelings you know you don't have to shut those feelings down you need to let those feelings come out and move through them um so that you don't get stuck and you don't have the feelings to get stuck yeah so which causes all kinds of problems oh yeah no even oh, scientifically yeah. <laughs> like they will make you sick yeah. like yes. that things will happen to you yeah yeah it's really interesting and i love yeah. that science is also backing all this up yeah like finding out more and more about it where you can legitimately be like no yeah. this is really really healthy for you to yeah and it's so easy to say but we get stuck in these patterns or things that that we've always done and so it is a constant reminder I am by no means some you know spiritual guru or um, emotionally you know I'm at a 10 on the emotional <laughs> health scale or anything like that but it's a constant reminder when I am going through anything like it's okay like tell yourself you're going to be fine but you need to cry this one out what did you learn from this story? I learned just how strong I am. I think that women often struggle with their own self-esteem and, uh, or not every woman, I'm sure, but you know, so many of us really struggle with, are we good enough? Are we pretty enough? Are we strong enough? Am I a good enough mom? Am I a good enough leader? All of those questions that we constantly, like our little mind is constantly asking those questions of ourselves. My hand is raised. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what I learned through this is that I'm strong enough and I can handle it. You know, I can, it does, it's not fun. You know, it's not, it's not, I'm not eager, you know, for Mm -hmm. the challenges, all that kind of stuff. But every other thing that I've been through since, um, I had a hysterectomy when, I was 34 unexpectedly um, my um, husband and I found out that we wouldn't be able to have kids together so that was that was something you know to think about but I didn't I knew that I was going to be able to handle it it was going to be I was going to be able to get through that um, we moved to Maine and and we're here alone and without family I I know that I'm going to be able to handle this you know any any of those things like my daughter actually this is a funny one but my daughter turning a teenager I know I'm gonna be able to handle this <laughs> yeah so I think that I have I have a greater sense of my own strength than I did before this happened to me I know that I'm gonna be able to handle what happens such a gift yeah in some ways I mean yeah. you wouldn't have thought of that at the time but right. wow that's that's kind of something beautiful to be able to fall back yeah. on one of the things that you had said um, is that you also learned what true love is? Oh yes. Can you tell me that? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, this one will make me cry. That's okay. Um, <laughs> we can cry. We're, we all cry here. Yeah. I'll cry with you. <laughs> yeah. I I received love from so many directions as I was going through. So many people as I was going through it. Um, my best 
friend um, is truly just the epitome of, of love. You know, she um, she did everything right in that um, time period of giving me all the support, caring for me and for my kids. So she's she and continues, you know, to give love. Um, to me in so many ways. My parents were incredibly loving and, and careful and cared for us. His parents um, were the same and always sending messages of support and cards and making sure that I knew that I was loved. And I'm remarried and uh, my husband you know, absolutely ad- adores me. You know, that was something that I was hoping when you get married the first time. Right, <laughs> that, right. That's, that's the plan. That's, that's the plan. Um, and it's not that you know, my ex did, did not, you know, love and care for me, but I do now know what it feels like to have that, that true romantic love, that, that love where, um, you know, he's, he's not going anywhere, you know, and that I know when he leaves in the morning, I'm going to miss him, you know, when we're both at work, (laughs) how silly that sounds. And we're super excited, you know, to see each other when we get home at the end of the day. So I'm really grateful to have that kind of love in my life too. Lastly, what advice would you give to somebody else who's going through something like this? Oh, well, the first thing I would say is that to take take the time that you need. I mean, you can never rush through any of the stages of grief. Going through divorce, especially um, for what, again for whatever reason, is I'll never forget someone telling me it's like you know someone dies but nobody brings you a casserole, and so everyone says you're going to be fine you're going to meet someone else and you know those aren't things that you need or want to hear when you're when your family is now not the family that you thought you were going to have so i would say take it's okay to take the time that you need for yourself to think through how how to care for yourself and how to care for your children and i would i guess i would also say be really patient with yourself who who would have thought that you know eight years later I would still shed a tear you know like you're gonna have moments um in your life where it's you know it's Christmas and or Thanksgiving and your kids are with their dad and they're not with you and you're watching the Macy's Thanksgiving parade by yourself and you're you're facetiming with them like you're gonna cry at these these ongoing things that come up for you and when the, when that emotion comes up, take the second that you need or the minutes that you need to to shed that tear so that you can move move on and move forward. And I guess too, just the blame this idea of not blaming yourself or anyone else or that finding fault. I just think so many people want to make it someone's fault when they go through something bad, and that to me is just a toxic way to live. It just it is no one's fault. It just is. It just is. Amen. It just is. I do very much believe that in in all situations that we're put in, good and good and bad, you know, our job on this earth is to take care of each other. And sometimes we're gonna hold each other's hands, and um, sometimes we're gonna carry each other. And and that's that's really important. That's something that I want my kids to know. And I really feel like women, not especially, but I just women should should know that sometimes you need to be carried and then that that's not a sign of weakness i think we have to be so strong but it's okay 
it's good to know that sometimes that's what God wants for you. Is that right now, Jessica, you're going to be carried through this. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to see the portraits of Jessica, you can find them over on my website at jendeanphotography.com. If you know someone who has a story that is amazing to you, something that they got through, are on the other side of, and have learned from, I would love for you to tell them about the podcast and send them my way. All the information can be found on my website, jendeanphotography.com. Again, thank you to Keith Kenneth for the fabulous theme music for the podcast. See you soon.